Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Sean Jeffrey from the Manitoba Restaurant Association on the long list of restaurants shut down in 2019 by Manitoba Health. The good news is only one member of his association on that list. We'll talk to Anastasia Ureniak about Ukrainian Christmas and Barbara Bowes from Legacy Bowes Group will chat with us about the idea that's being floated in Finland, a four-day work week and only six hours a day. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. The number one story, most active story right now at cjob.com is about the restaurants that Manitoba Health closed in 2019. But there's a good side to the story here, too. I know we all like to look at that list and go, oh, did I eat there? Sean Jeffrey is the executive director of the Manitoba Restaurant and Food Services Association. Uh, Sean, happy new year. Good to see you. Nice to see you, too. Hell, thank you. you um, so... Of all these restaurants on this list, and people can see the list at cgob.com, you're proud of the fact that just one of your members is on that list, right? Absolutely, just one, yeah. And uh, and we pride ourselves in, in being, obviously, the voice of the restaurant industry here in Manitoba. But, you know, it all starts with communication, right? So our membership um, are invested restaurant owners who are invested in the industry, invested in their business, and they use the association as a communication factor, right? So to be able to get information, create those lines of communication with uh, public health departments, city of Winnipeg, uh, various industries that relate to theirs, right? So by using that association link, it, it helps them be more successful and, and try to avoid these kind of situations. So, yeah, when I looked at the, the list and, and got that, it was, uh, you know, again, another uh, another year, another list, and, and we see one of our members on there, only one of the of the list. But, uh, and not for a major infraction either. No, a very either. small fraction yeah. and something that was actually unavoidable and we were aware of it already. But being able to have that ability for our members to be able to reach out and have that line of communication uh, with the public health departments because we work closely with them and, and having that communication is key and making sure that they're successful and maintaining a safe environment for patrons to go out and per, you know, participate in their restaurants. Mm. So. But you understand why when people see a headline like that, dirty restaurants, right? Why they got to check the list. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and wouldn't you? You know, the reality is, is that I'm a foodie and I know you are too. And mm. the reality for all you foodies out there, they're going to want to know where they're eating and, uh, and be able to, you know, to look at that list and say, you know, a restaurant on there that maybe you part, you know you're at a couple weeks ago. It's a little disheartening, and uh, and it's actually very frustrating to the association and myself also because we want a, a safe environment for everybody to go out and enjoy a fun night out with family and friends, and that's that's the whole part of it, right? And and when you have restaurants that you know maybe fall in that category where they're having some challenges and need a little bit of help, um, you know the association's out there to 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 make sure that uh, those places are safe too. So, mm. um, you know that's why we you know we foster you know positive activity. And actually, last year, we reached out personally to every single one of the restaurants that were on the list to make sure that they're aware of the benefits of our association and what we can do for them. Really? What yeah. was that like? What was the reaction like? You know, it was mixed. You know, to be honest with you, it was mixed. And the reality is, is that a lot of people, and, and, and let's take it for granted, the, the restaurant industry, it's a tight industry. It's a tough industry to, to keep positives. Uh, the misconception that the... Uh, 
uh, you know, our industry is is uh, you know thriving, it, which it is here in Manitoba, especially. But you know, our but it's a struggle. Own, it is yeah, a struggle. Absolutely, yeah. our restaurant owners work their hands to the bone to make sure their concepts and their restaurants stay open. So when when uh, you know you have another uh, bill on that table, you have another thing that you have to pay for. It's tough, and I totally understand. It's it's a tough thing to go forward, but but in the end, it comes down to you making sure that your patrons are in the healthiest and safest environment as possible, and our members are. Contributed and and committed to that. I ran, uh, as you know, several hot dog carts for a long time, and uh, I know how good. Well, then it was City Health, but mm-hmm. now it's Manitoba Health that kind of sure. handles it all. And how diligent they are about keeping an eye on on food establishments. Absolutely. So, uh, I I see the list, and I feel for some of them on the list because mm-hmm. let's face it, our kitchens at home probably are worse than many of the kitchens that are on that list. <laughs> Definitely not my home, honey. Um, but the right. reality is... But you know is, what I'm getting at. Yeah, absolutely. No, for sure. And, uh, you know, when you when you look at that, our public health inspectors are very diligent people. And we got we to applaud them for being out there and making sure that our patrons are, you know, providing uh, a safe and healthy environment. Um, but the reality is, is that, you know, sometimes the restaurant owners and the health department differ on their opinions. And that's where the association comes into, into play. Because, because we have a great relationship with both our members and the public health department, we can kind of create that that line of communication and be able to get answers, you know, questions answered, be able to provide you direction and be able to help you out so that if you have those questions and you're not quite sure what you need to do, you can reach out to the association and, and one of our staff can and help you guide you in the right direction or at least put you in communication with a person who can. How bad does it get at times? Like, I'm sure you've heard horror stories, right? Well, and you know the environment that I came from in my previous life, so I've seen this. And the reality is, is it can get bad, but it really comes down to communication and knowledge. Look, at there, we have some of the best uh, restaurateurs in, in, in the world here in Manitoba. And uh, we have one of the best uh, culinary and hospitality training institutes with Red River Downtown. But there is no degree in restaurant ownership. Right. So when you own a restaurant, you might be coming from a different environment or a different industry that maybe you haven't owned a restaurant before. And, you're, and because of our diverse environment that we hear for here in Manitoba, maybe you want to open up that restaurant and you just need a little bit of help. And those are the restaurants and those are the people that I say, reach out to the association because the reality is that we have, you know, a group of uh, board of directors with thousands of years of experience that can mentor you and we'll be happy to help you be successful because that's what it's all about, making sure that we have the most diverse, bustling, thriving restaurant industry here in Manitoba, which I feel we already have, and continuing that in a safe environment for all patients to be able to go out and enjoy dinner. You mentioned your background. You at one time were in pest control. Yes, and, I and did. you actually have members of the association now, I think Orkin and, and Poolins. Yep. And they're members of yours. Absolutely. So, I mean, rodents are, are part of this, right? Absolutely. In years past, I spent many years going through this. And the reality is, in my experience, and I know some of our member uh, pest control companies would, would agree with me on this, is that you get the call only when the health inspector's in the restaurant. The key thing is that, you know, pest control, and that's a good portion of the actual closures on the actual list is pest control related, is really about being proactive and not reactive. Making sure that you have a, a professional confident um, company taking care of your pest issues because the reality is is that it's such a detrimental um, 
part of your restaurant if it gets out of control. And uh, in having, a, like I said, a, a competent, um, thriving company that can uh, come in there and give you, you know, their experience and guidance and direction makes a lot of difference. And uh, and it's not very expensive. And you know, all you know, all it takes is just a phone call to to one of those you know reputable companies out there that can take care of that for you. Uh, makes all the difference in the world. I dealt, as I said, with the hot dog carts with uh, health officials in the past, and I'm curious to know. Um, and now you know when a when a health inspector walks into your establishment or walks up, you you are very aware they're there. Oh, absolutely. Do they, do they ever have undercover people? Like, do they ever have a restaurant? Like, maybe you would know this. I don't know, or maybe you don't know. Is there a restaurant maybe that shows up on the list a lot, and so they send somebody in undercover to kind of check things out? Well, you know, and I can't really speak to to the policies of of public health, but yeah. what I can say is that. Uh, in um, years past, when uh, they would show up, and they'll always announce themselves and uh, and come in when they're when they're taking care of that uh, their inspection. Um, but they're changing the times that they're doing it. You know, we've had members say that uh, restaurants or um, you know public health department they're coming in right at dinner time in the evening in, in multiple different times. Um, we, you know, and our members are I'm I'm again proud to say that they're prepared because they're very dedicated to their operations and making sure that's in a safe environment. But um, you know, they're not uh, you know. They're acting on people's feedback. So if they're getting complaints or they've had a, a notorious uh, offender, um, you're going to see more visits. And the reality is, is that you need to prepare yourself because, um, you know, most of these infractions come with a warning to start unless it's uh, beyond the point of, of warning. So, you know, want to make sure that you're, you know, prepared. So, again, and we should all be worrying about this because it's, again, the end result is a safe, healthy environment for people to, to come out and enjoy their dinner in. We heard yesterday Expedia saying that Winnipeg and Manitoba, one of the hot destinations right yep. now, big, Amazing. huge increase. A lot of that has to do with our food, right? It's it's actually related right in there in, in, in some of our like economic development. And these, these these groups are doing amazing things to bring people to our city. It's because we have a thriving in, in an amazing restaurant scene here in, in Manitoba. And so the sad part is that, you know, the, when these kind of things happen, when people Google Winnipeg, this is what they're going to see now. So we want to make sure that everybody, you know, is all focused on making sure we get more, t- you know, more tourist destination, more people coming to Winnipeg, more people coming and testing our restaurants out, seeing the diversity that we do have here in Manitoba. And uh, that's what we want to focus on, not on the uh, on the negative side of it. What have you got planned for 2020? Big year for the association and huge, your members? Huge year. Yeah. Yeah. Huge year. We were actually very, uh, we're excited to uh, they have the implementation delivery of alcohol um, is just going through the process right now that was uh, introduced into legislation uh, by the provincial government. Um, and uh, yeah, we're really focusing on, on making sure that uh, we get out there and we got some new um, some new uh, initiatives coming out of the new year. And, uh, and me and my team are really focusing on trying to get everybody on board so uh, we can continue to, to foster that positivity and that uh, thriving Manitoba restaurant scene. Sean, good to see you. Happy New Year. Pleasure. And appreciate you uh, always making yourself available for stuff like this. Really appreciate it. Sean Jeffrey is the executive director of the Manitoba Restaurant and Food Services Association. Merry Ukrainian Christmas. And joining us now to talk about it, Anastasia Ireniak. Anastasia, Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas to you too. Um, Okay, say that again for me. And the same to you. There, that's a nice, easy way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I assume means Merry Christmas. It does. 
And my little granddaughter came over yesterday, reminded me that there's another way of saying that as well, because she's in a Ukrainian bilingual school and they learned a different way. And we said, oh, wow, good for you. That's and, great. And can you say that for us? Yes. Christos Narodelsia. Very nice. We have so many Ukrainian Canadians in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. That's why we wanted to go out of our way today uh, to make sure that we at least made mention of the fact that it's Ukrainian Christmas. How is Ukrainian Christmas different than the traditional Christmas that many of us know? It's different in the sense that it's really a very religious-based tradition and um, also a cultural-based. And because we are Ukrainian Orthodox, we uh, celebrate by the Julian calendar, which is the calendar that predates the Gregorian, which is the one that is commonly used. So it's different in the sense that... um, well, why don't we say that there are a lot of um, um, similarities? We, you know, you, we go to church. We have a really um, special traditional meal. It's a 12-dish um, meal that we have on Svetvacher, uh, which was last night. Um, we always um, wait um, uh, until the evening to eat. We usually fast for a few days, and some people might even fast for a week, and then they break the fast on um, the 6th of January, which was last night. And um, we start our meal as soon as the first star is seen, and that is a star that's usually seen by the youngest um, child in the, in the household. Then we have this um, really amazing meal, which is, um, it doesn't lack of food because we do serve 12 dishes, but it's a meatless meal. And, and talk a bit about the food because, listen, in, in many Christmas celebrations, yes. um, food is important. No different with Ukrainian Christmas. Talk about the 12 dishes. Okay, so we always start our meal with a very special deal, a meal that is, uh, sorry, a very special dish that is called kutia. And kutia is a dish that if I were to compare else in the world, it would lose its integrity. But all I can tell you is that it's a ceremonial uh, grain dish and it um, smacks with deliciousness. And we always start with that um, uh, dish. It's called kutia. And then we continue with um, borscht. And I'm sure that everybody knows about borscht. Yep. And um, we have a variety of fish, um, including pickled uh, herring. Uh, some people like to have only um, freshwater fish. Other people include salmon. We always have um, our borscht, of course, is meatless. We have peat panky with gravy, and I'm sure that being from Manitoba, everybody knows how Ukrainians are foragers of mushrooms, and we all hit the forest in the fall to make sure that we pick our own wild <laughs> mushrooms so right. we can serve them on this special evening. Yeah. Uh, we always have uh, kabusta, which is a sauerkraut. We make this amazing braided bread that always sits in the center of the um, table and we light a candle. We have meatless holopsy, the cabbage rolls, uh, compote, which is a dried fruit that is um, now brought to life by boiling it and then it's very, very sweet. 
very special uh, poppy seed rolls, um, also pampushke that are dumplings like or like donuts that are filled with um, prunes and um, sometimes Saskatoons, sometimes apricots. Um, whatever people had, you know, from their farms was what they put in their in their pampushke. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't oh, think um, I missed anything. Of well, Varenike, of course, how could I miss Varenike? Most people call them pierogies. We call them Varenike. My mother-in-law always said that Varenike come from the dumplings that are boiled. Um, we tend to call them pierogies, but we know them as Varenike. They're filled with uh, cabbage, with sour cabbage, or with um, mushrooms or uh, potatoes. So that's one of the, the yeah. main dishes. Why uh, why is it important for you to carry on with a traditional Ukrainian Christmas anesthesia? Why is that important and why do others do it as well? Oh my goodness, what a question. I was thinking about that and I was doing a lot of self-reflecting as I was um, cooking the last couple of days and I would say, how could I ever teach somebody that was non-Ukrainian to to make this delicious meal if they didn't wear a vinok, which is basically, you know, the um, flowered wreath on their head or have the tradition of going to church. So we were socialized in a very, very rich culture and we love it so much and we believe that it's very very important to pass on to our children and the culture comes of course with the religion our children our grandchildren go to ukrainian bilingual uh, schools we're very very fortunate to have those schools in manitoba and we want our children to enjoy the same beauty and um, integrity of life as we did as children and we do as adults and we were kind of joking yesterday because I just retired after many years of being a school principal. And, and I was saying, oh, I'm, I'm full of energy. And this is a lot of work. And my sons were saying, yes, I wonder what our meal is going to look like when we um, have to take over. And um, there were some suggestions, which I won't mention. However, the answer is no. You'll be doing exactly the same thing because once it's in you, it's in you. It doesn't yeah. leave. You know, and that's good. Anastasia, that's that's great because as you were talking about all this food, I was thinking of my Norwegian grandmother and how she would make some traditional Norwegian dishes that became part of our Christmas celebration every year, like lefse, for example. And Janet Campbell from the Scandinavian Club in town sent me a pack of lefse, her homemade lefse this year, just so I had a bit of that childhood Christmas this year. And, you know, and, and I would sit and make lefse with my grandma and I never kept it up. I didn't take the ability to do that. And that's a big regret for me now that I didn't work harder at taking that with me because it was it, it's a fond memory so i think it's wonderful that you well you have lots of time to keep doing that so i guess you can so just... that's true but i think it's wonderful that you're passing this on to your kids and your grandkids yes thank you we're just we we love our culture and um we love people and we love singing our children um will go christmas caroling we're expecting christmas carols to uh, carolers to come to our house today many of them come like in this time of the um you know of our decades there's always that you know dwindling finances in your churches so sometimes it's a way of fundraising uh, fundraising but more than anything it's bringing joy and it's bringing joy to every household and connecting as a community. And it's just so heartwarming and so exciting. I'm just so grateful to be Ukrainian, to be part of this tradition, and to share it with everybody else. Yeah. 
we appreciate you sharing it with us because I think we, you know, we have so many Ukrainian Canadians amongst us and, and we, we often know it's Ukrainian Christmas, but we don't sometimes know the details. And that's why I really appreciate you telling us about this. You were at church again today. What was the message? Was. What, what was the message today? Well, the message was kindness. We're um, entering uh, 2020 because we haven't yet. We don't. Our New Year's isn't actually starting until the 14th of January. So the message is that of peace and kindness. And if there's anything you can be, it's be kind. Um, you know, connect as a community. Uh, stay with your family. The message was very, very strong, and it just it was very it was very heartwarming. <laughs> Tell me about your your dancers. My dancers. Oh, well, actually, we have a, um, a Ukrainian um, dance company called Rosmai, and it um, uh, operates out of our Ukrainian Orthodox Church on um, Main Street. Uh, dance isn't celebrated at Christmas. Song and music is, but it's a very, very strong tradition. And in many, many situations, it's the dance that is the thread that keeps uh, children connected to the Ukrainian Orthodox, the Ukrainian Catholic, or all, whatever um, religion it is, being Ukrainian and dancing the beautiful dance and wearing those costumes and just dancing your hearts out, reflective of your culture and, and your family life. Uh, one more question, Anastasia, before sure. I let you go. Like, you know, uh, Christians celebrate Christmas, but it over the years has become, not for everybody, but, but for many people right. it's become so commercial, right? You know, we, it's about yeah. Santa Claus and, and gifts and stuff. You have such a traditional celebration at Christmas. Do you ever look at how commercial the other Christmas has become and sort of shake your head and wonder about that? And are gifts part of your Christmas? Gifts are part of our, um, our our Christmas, but we um, the children are gifted with um, presents from Saint Nicholas, who who arrives on um, December nineteenth, and that's the time that he brings gifts for the children. So we do not. Uh, exchange uh, gifts at uh, Christmas time. Mm -hmm. uh, the gifts would be the um, song, uh, the music, the presence of other people, maybe some chocolates, some candy. We always make sure that we have some hay under our tables and we have candy and um, sweets for the children so that after we have our meal, they can dive under and, and get those sweets. But no, in our family, we do not give gifts. And I can't say that we don't celebrate the 24th and the 25th, because we do. We're Canadian, and um, we celebrate um, that Christmas. And yes, there is a lot of commercialism. And as our children get older <laughs> and we get older, we see that less is, is more. And um, it's always a, a one gift for each of the children, and the children are really happy with that. Anastasia, I don't shake my head because yeah. it's like, it is what it is. Right, yeah. Anastasia, thank you for this, and Merry Christmas. All the best in 2020. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Anastasia Ureniuk is uh, joining us here on Ukrainian Christmas. I want a na-na-na, I want a na-na-na, I want to move to Finland. I want a na-na-na, I want a na-na-na. I want to move to Finland. No kidding. I want to move to Finland. Why not? Six-hour work days, four-day work weeks. Yes. 
That is what the new Prime Minister of Finland is suggesting. I have been glad to see the international attention towards Finland. This is our opportunity to tell who we Finns are and what kind of country Finland is. All right, Barbara Bose is the president of Legacy Bose Group. She will join us in just a moment. We'll talk with her about this idea. And uh, in the meantime, we are getting lots of text messages and emails from you on the stuff we've been talking about today. 204-780-6868. Hal at cjob.com. Real nice one here from Peter on Ukrainian Christmas. Merry Ukrainian Christmas, by the way. Uh, Peter says, Hal, Ukrainian Christmas is more about family and sharing, not about how much we spend on gifts. It's about the children and about ethnic food. I had the pleasure of growing up when my mother did all the cooking for many years. On a wood stove. At that time of year, my dad always found a way to come up with a gallon of home brew. So when groups of singers came caroling, they would get a straight shot of brew. No mix. The good old days. Happy New Year. That one's from Peter. Thank you for all your feedback today by text, by phone, and by email. We're also talking about home remedies a bit today. I was mentioning the uh, one that's kind of lit up Instagram uh, it includes fruit, 12 cloves of garlic, and a whole onion, and then you ferment the thing for three to six weeks. It's a whole process. I may throw that whole recipe up, actually up on my social media feeds later, at Hal Anderson on Twitter, Hal Anderson 34 on Instagram, and Hal Anderson and Hal Anderson Productions on Facebook. Uh, but I got this one from Denny. This is his home remedy. Um, he says, how the last couple of days I felt like someone has weighted down my lungs with a mix of feta cheese and peanut butter. Yuck. What? A, that's a good description, though, uh, uh, Denny. And today, how I put a spoonful of honey in a cup of boiled water, water and I topped it with about half a cup of ginger ale and gave it a good stir. Not sure if it's making me well, but it's certainly making me cozy. I might try to make something that incorporates feta cheese and peanut butter next. That's from Denny. Uh, your home remedies at 204-780-6868 and hal at cjob.com. Barbos, Barbara Bose, Bose knows, uh, joins us on the phone here now from Legacy Bose Group. Barbara, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. So we've been talking a bit today about this idea that has come out of Finland, the idea of a six-day work day, a six-hour work day, and a four-day work week, basically 24 hours a week compared to our 40 here. Do you think this is a good idea? Oh, it's a lovely idea, um, but it's a little bit unattainable. But you know what? I'm really proud of that woman, um, Prime Minister, putting putting that out. What it shows you how is that the younger people are starting to grab hold of the key issues that women like myself have been fighting about for years but, you know, I don't know if you noticed the response uh, that she had in Parliament. They basically discounted her, slammed her, you name it, which, uh, uh, you know, to be honest, is some of the response we get to women's issues even today. But, you know, with the younger people working and moving into the workforce, maybe she's going to have more push than, than, than what, what I had. Yeah. Well, let's see, you, I, I sort of hear two sides of it there. You think that maybe it's not a great idea, but yet you say you've been fighting for it for years. Does it go too far? 
Um, I think, it, you know, you have to recognize that everybody, the whole world, is based on a 40-hour work week. So to change it as abruptly as changing it to a 24-hour or six-day, six-hour, 24-hour work week, it's not going to happen like that. And what we've done over the years is bring in things like flex time and flexible work schedules, which is moving, you know, to that area. And it's more acceptable. The other thing, Hal, is, and, and this is, um, you know, kind of interesting because we always think of women first, at least being a woman, I think of women first. Yeah. But there's a new study out by Deloitte that shows that younger people, men and women, want more life-work balance. So some of these uh, pushes that women are putting forward and one, ones that we put forward when I was younger, men are now starting to take advantage of, like parental leave, for instance, I mean, guys, they couldn't take any leave at all when women were off on maternity leave. And you know what? When I had my first son, I don't want to tell you how old he is, there was no maternity leave. Yeah. Then it was 17 weeks. Now it's uh, 18 months. So the younger women pushing for these kinds of changes, I think I really admire. It's not going to come in my lifetime. Yeah. But when you get men on side, then you're going to start to see some changes. So I certainly applaud it. It's just, I'm afraid they're going to get exhausted trying to push for it. Well, and and here's, listen, I, I like the idea of a four-day work week and six-hour days. I like the sound of it, and yet they've tried it. You know, Sweden uh, tried it in 2015 over at Microsoft Japan. They're doing it, and they're, they're doing it. They're not even just seeing productivity go up a little bit. At Microsoft Japan, they brought in a three-day weekend, and productivity went up 40%. So not only does it sound great it seems to be effective well it might be effective in the sh- in the short term i'd like to see that as a long range study yeah you know one of the issues is are they paying i can't believe that i can't believe that they're paying a 40 hour week and just uh, having them only work much 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 less right uh, i can't see it and then secondly can you afford to live on less some people can some people can't yeah. so th- but there's other issues um, and I, w- I was actually chatting with somebody to ask if their company had twenty had this six day twenty four hour schedule um, as as in Winnipeg, and they said no. Uh, but they do have flexibility, and what they're finding is that even if you have the flexibility, eventually that person gets sucked back in to the forty hour week, and they're they're actually getting overtime and may not even get paid for it because their their schedule doesn't allow for it. And then there's the continuity of work, and there's also the individual loses a sense of family. At one time, uh, how we were really focusing on work at home, and companies really kind of went out of the way to allow people to work at home, people are drifting back to the office because it's lonely back home. They want, you know, workers want to be with, with, with people. Yeah, interesting. So, and and I, I think you're right, Barbara. I think, you know, they might say, sure, let's do a shorter work week and fewer hours, but you still have the same amount of work. And after a while, maybe that's not, uh, you know, you can't keep that up. And, and the other part of it, too, I think, is instead of a company saying, here's what we're going to do, or a government saying, here's what we're going to do, I think it is in many cases, at least in, uh, in this company, I can tell you, that they will let us work a less a shorter work week uh, if we want. We just got to figure out how that looks. Uh, okay, but are they asking you to do the 40-hour work week, but in less time, like 12 hours working four days, but you're working 16 hours? They still want the same amount of work done. Yeah. 
Right. Uh, are they prepared to go in and hire somebody else part-time, part-time? But you know what? It happens, Hal, but it's not a general rule for yeah. companies. It's right. an individual negotiation. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Barbara, thanks a lot for this. Great conversation. I appreciate it. Okay, have a great day. Barbara Bose from Bose Legacy Group joining us on the idea of a four-day work week and a six-hour work day. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.